I, I wanted to share something with you. Um, <clears throat> if you love me, you will never do anything that makes me feel even the slightest bit of discomfort. <laughs> You'll be sensitive to my feelings. You'll never do anything that, that does anything other than validate my identity, uh, my preferences, my beliefs. In fact, every look, every word, every action, it must affirm, it must enhance, it must encourage who I am and what I think and especially how I behave. And if not, I will take immediate offense and consider you my enemy and will feel justified in any action that I take to destroy you. <laughs> it is laughable, and it may sound extreme, and yet, at the same time, many of us are probably thinking, yep, that pretty much sums up the way things are heading in our world. That's the kind of people that we're producing these days. And I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. And I think that's something that we should be alarmed by. And yet at the same time, I think that if we are honest, we have to admit that that's not just the kind of thinking that is out there. That there is a little bit, even, even the slightest little bit of that that exists inside of each and every one of us. And as I think about it, I think that's most often the case in the way we relate to God. We say that God's not a genie in a lamp. He's not there uh, to just fulfill every single one of our wishes. I know in my life, uh, things haven't always gone perfectly the way I wanted. But then there are some times when I'm just caught off guard and things go, seem to spiral down, downward in such a way that it just leaves me looking up to heaven and saying, Lord, what are you doing? This isn't the way that you're supposed to operate. There was a particular time in my life when things were trending south. In fact, it wasn't just a black diamond. It was kind of like a, a, a free fall at one point where you just felt like everything was falling apart. And I didn't understand why it was going that way. I thought that I had committed my life to God. I knew that that didn't mean that life was going to be easy, but I thought that it meant that God was going to, to, to go alongside me now. He was going to be there with me. I could be strong and courageous because the Lord my God was with me, right? And so I held on to those verses. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. I knew it wasn't going to be perfect, but I also knew that the God of the Bible is a gracious God. And he lavishes his goodness on his people. And I expected to see evidence of that, that grace, at least, on, at least on every page of the scrapbook of my life or the social media timeline, for those of you who are more current. Instead, what I found was in, in some of the darkest, the most coldest, the most lonely moments, when God seemed to be anywhere but, but near, I was tempted to wonder whether or not I had made the right decision to follow him. I began to wonder if maybe he failed to make good on his promise to me. Or maybe I had 
mistakenly entrusted my life to him. Maybe I should have given this a little bit more thought before I jumped right into it. Surely the God who was with me would not allow this kind of suffering, this kind of misery, this kind of disruption in my life. Are there moments, are there moments like that, difficult moments in your life? And do those moments give evidence to the fact that maybe God is, is unfaithful to keep his promises? Or perhaps he's not really there at all. I wonder if Jacob thought that. Jacob was a man on a journey in a sort of mandatory vacation from his family, from his home, from the brother who had threatened to take his life. But what had begun as a, 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 this fear-filled time of disillusionment, maybe even a time of guilt and despair, that took a dramatic turn, remember last week, a dramatic turn when he found himself just completely taken off guard, completely surprised by the good grace of God. In the dead of night, the Lord came to him in a dream, and Jacob was shocked, remember? Mouth open, arm stretched high. Look, there's, there's a staircase. There's angels going up and coming down, and What's more, God is up at the top. This is incredible. And not only did he see, but he heard, remember? God spoke to him in that dream, and he let him know that he had not irreparably messed things up, that the promise that God made to Abraham, his grandfather, that that was still going to apply to him. God was going to be with him. God was going to direct him. God was going to bless him. And God was not going to leave until he was there and got the job done. What incredible news that must have been. It must have just been such a weight lifted off of his shoulders and, 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 and just filled him with energy and excitement to know that as he continued on, that staircase, that connection between he and God, that was going to go with him wherever he went. God wouldn't lead him until he had brought about all that he had promised. And I think Jacob was completely blown away. And in response to that, he said, from that day forward, you will be my God. And he set up a monument there. Remember that? The stone he lifted up and he poured oil on top. And then he said, I'm going to give a tenth of all that you give me right back to you. And that brings us to verse 1 of chapter 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. The Hebrew reads, Jacob lifted up his feet. He lifted up his feet. It seems that after his encounter with God, he, he continued on his journey with a new sense of enthusiasm. He, he sort of had a, a spring in his step. And why wouldn't there be a spring? God was with him. How could he go wrong? Even if difficulty came his way, he still had that staircase connection between he and Almighty God. This was his insurance card, his, his fail-safe, his secret weapon, his guarantee of blessing that God's promise was going to come about. Did you experience anything like that when you first trusted in Jesus? Maybe when you, when you first decided, I, I'm going to give my life completely to God's 
service, to his will. My life is going to be all about his glory and bringing good to everyone I come in contact with. I experienced some of that. Jacob's enthusiasm, it must have soared when his eyes fell upon what they did in verse 2. Look at this. As he looked, he saw a well in a field. And behold, three flocks of sheep laying beside it, for out of that well the flocks were watered. Now, you might be thinking, wait, why would he soar with enthusiasm? He saw a well. Well, maybe he was really thirsty. He wanted some water. Okay, I can understand that. It's good to get a drink of water when you're really thirsty. I think when Jacob saw that well, he thought of something. He thought of something that happened for his dad. He thought of his grandfather Abraham's servant on that mission to go to Abraham's people and he came across a well. Do you remember this? And do you remember how the Lord led Rebekah right to him? And he made it so clear that this is the one I want you to bring back for Isaac. I think when Jacob saw that, he went, oh my goodness, a well. Isn't this where grandfather's servant found my, 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 my mother? Isn't, isn't God going to do the same thing for me now? I'm the recipient of God's blessing, of God's promise now. Why not? Let's read on. He saw the well, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of the well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we're from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it's well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it's still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot water. We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. So he comes to this well. He sees at least three shepherds, probably more for these three flocks. And he begins this conversation with them. And the conversation is, uh, is, left, leaves something to be desired. It's, it's, it's a little wanting. My brothers, where do you come from? I can just see the enthusiasm. Hey, I, it's good to see you guys. We're from Haran. Who are you? Do you know Laban? Yeah. Well, how is he? It's all right. He's well. It's not unlike uh, conversations I used to have with junior high uh, boys. I'd call them up on the phone. <laughs> how you doing, buddy? It's good to hear your voice. I'm fine. Well, how's your day been? What's, what's been going on? What have you been doing? Nothing. Well, hey, I, I just want you to know, I just want you to, I'm excited to see you at youth group tonight. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, not so excited now. Finally, the shepherds add, they say, hey, uh, if you're looking for Laban, his daughter is, is, is right over there. She's coming. So go talk to her. Bingo. Bingo. Could this be the blessing showing up? Could it be her? God's worked this way before. I'm ready. Let's do it. She looked the part. 
Verse 17 tells us Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And and apparently Jacob's pulse, it started going wild. And enthusiasm went flying off the Richter scale. And he turns to the shepherds and he's like, shouldn't you guys be somewhere else? Why don't you just water your, water, get, get on with the watering and, and get lost. I got, I got a conversation I need to have here. It's kind of important. I think God's going before me and I think he's going to bless me big time. <laughs> they reply, well, we can't water the flocks until, you know, everyone is gathered. And it's kind of a thing we do and we all move the stone together. It's a big stone. It's a heavy stone, you see. And then, then, then we'll do that. It was big. Granted, it was big. Apparently, they were either too lazy to move it or it was just kind of a thing that they all did together. Watch what happens next in verse 9. This is good. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth, watered the flocks of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. So when she shows up, the shepherds don't budge. Jacob all of a sudden turns beast mode on and gathers up all his manly strength, and he moves this mammoth stone by himself. Was Rachel impressed? If that didn't leave an impression, maybe the fact that he then watered her entire flock. And if that didn't impress her, maybe the fact that he runs right over to her and plants one. Not only that, he starts weeping and wailing. I I, I just wish I could see the expression on her face. What on earth was she thinking in that moment? Have there ever been times in your life where God's hand of blessing has just been so unexpected, his grace is just lavished on you, it just couldn't help just burst forth with excitement? That has to be what's happening here. I think uh, Nat King Cole, he was singing Jacob's song when he sang, what a day this has been, what a rare mood I've in, well it's almost like being in love. (laughs) This is incredible. We read that Rachel, she, she takes off. <laughs> Was she scared? Was she excited? I don't know. She runs home to dad and tells him all that happened. Verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him, a lot of kissing going on, and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things and Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. Now, we can see Laban is excited at first. Very excited to hear that news. And why wouldn't he be excited? Remember when the servant, Abraham's servant, came to him, that resulted in him getting all kinds of gifts. This is a good thing. But then he hears Jacob's story. Finds out Jacob doesn't have anything to offer for Rachel. And I imagine he was singing a different tune. At the very least, Jacob was convincing enough for Laban to realize, okay, you are my sister's son. And then he recognizes his obligation to, to host him and allow him to stay there for a month. Actually, not just stay, 
but, but work, right? Because Laban says in verse 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what, you, what shall be your wages. Seizing the opportunity, undeterred by any sense of awkwardness that may have been there, he says, I'll serve you for seven years for your daughter, Rachel. Now, Rachel, we discover, is the younger of two sisters. Her older sister, Leah, is not quite as attractive as, as Jacob thought Rachel to be. And verse 17 says that Leah had weak eyes. They, the commentators think they, they lacked a sort of sparkle, a sort of, a sort of brightness. And maybe that had something to do with her personality as well. I don't know. Uh, most likely she didn't share in, in a lot of her younger sister's attributes. And we don't know what those attributes may have been. There was a different idea of beauty back in that day. But Jacob clearly did not think that she was the one for him. Rachel was the one for him. And why shouldn't he have Rachel as his wife? Why shouldn't he? God's staircase of blessing was with him wherever he went, right? He had been surprised by God's incredible grace on, upon him before. Why shouldn't he expect that God is now going to bless him in another miraculous way? And that same kind of thinking is not uncommon for Christians. Why shouldn't God bless me? Why shouldn't he bless me? I am his child now, am I not? God is with me wherever I go. Jesus, in fact, is my staircase that connects me to God all the time, 24-7 roadside assistance. This is incredible. So why shouldn't I expect him to just com continually pour his grace on every one of life's twists and turns that comes my way? Jacob was in for a shock. So enthusiastic was Jacob to marry Rachel that he, he promised to serve Laban for seven years in exchange for her hand. That's about twice as much as the going bride price of the day. For Jacob, it didn't matter. It was a small price to pay. In fact, we read in verse 20 that those years, they seemed to him like a few days because of the love he had for her. This guy was totally smitten. He was helpless. Seven years, they came and went. And apparently when they did, Laban delays on delivering his end of the bargain. The tone of Jacob's statement here, it, it seems to point that direction. It says in verse 21, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me the wife, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. There, there's no please, no thank yous in here. No, it's very direct. Come, come clean on your, on your promise here. Deliver. And then we read that Laban, maybe reluctantly, I don't know, he makes the arrangements for the big day. Weddings were a big deal in that day. There would be a big processional to go get the bride from where, for her, from a room or wherever it was that she, she was getting ready. Then there'd be another processional bringing her to the groom. Then there'd be the official ceremonial words that were recited. Then a great feast would take place. After the feast, then the groom would take his cloak and he would wrap it around his bride and take her to their room. 
And then another six days of feasting would take place. This was party time. This was a big deal. And after seven years of work for his bride, this was going to be a week that was well-deserved. This was going to be great. I can imagine Jacob just being completely elated. Finally, here we go. But what should have been one of the greatest moments in Jacob's life turned into one of the most horrific, most disruptive, most anger-inducing ever. Was it, was it the wedding veil that concealed so well? Was it the darkness of night? Was it quite possibly that he had had too much wine? We don't know. It was probably a combination of factors that allowed for Laban's scheme to go off without a hitch. Look at verse 22. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to, to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And that same word for deceived is the same word that was used back when he deceived his father. But imagine the heartache. Imagine the agony. Imagine the bitterness, the anger, the rage. Imagine the questions that must have been swirling around in Jacob's mind. Lord, why? What? How could you let this happen to me? You said you would be with me. You said you were going to bless me. Were you just leading me on? Were your promises empty? How can you, how can you show me such surprising grace and then turn right around and allow something like this to happen? I imagine you haven't gone through exactly the same situation as Jacob. But I'm sure there have been times in your life when everything just went south and the good hand of God's blessing just seemed to be absent. Far away from you as it could possibly be. What happened to God's provision? What happened to God's presence? What happened to God's grace? Jacob had to be there. At the same time, he must have been reminded of that deception that he played on his father. He must have been reminded of what he did to his brother. Maybe he thought that, you know, this situation is actually far worse. You know, this is worse for me than it was for Esau. Esau didn't care about his birthright. He sold it to me for a bowl of soup. I love Rachel with all my heart. I worked seven years for her. says in verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it's not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one. And we will give you the other also in return for serving another seven years. Jacob did so. 
and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Billah to, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. It would have been easy for Jacob to say, God, where were you when I needed you? Aren't you supposed to know everything? Past, present, future. In fact, aren't you outside of time? You knew this was going to happen long before. Why didn't you mention anything about this when you, I had that dream about the ladder? Why didn't you prep me a little bit, prepare my heart for this? Are you even here at all? Are you? I, I don't hear you. The reality was God was there. He was right there with him. Staircase had not disappeared. Angels were still ascending and descending. He was still with him. The promises were still true. We're going to read later that 12 tribes come from Jacob. In fact, Moses comes from him. King David comes from him. The Savior of the world the one the promise is all about, that's going to come through Jacob's line. God was keeping Jacob. He was protecting him. He was providing for him. In fact, he would actually bring him back to the land that he promised. And God's grace had not departed from him. Nor had it ceased to continue to pour out on him. You know, there are times when we experience wonderful, unexpected, good things in our lives. Things that we know that we didn't deserve. We just go, wow, God is so good. God, you were amazing. So gracious. But the good that God brings into our lives is not limited to what we prefer. It's not limited to to what makes us feel good. It's not limited to what's convenient, to what affirms, or what we like. Jacob experienced another aspect of God's grace here in, 20, in chapter 29. He experienced God's disruptive grace. It's a form of grace that we would never instinctively ask for. It's inconvenient. It's frustrating. It's world-shaking. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's humiliating. Sometimes it is life-altering. And it's exactly what Jacob needed. Jacob was a man in need of great refining. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. One pastor wrote, he needed some trimming. He needed a compassionate spirit. He needed to experience some pain. He needed to learn humility. He needed some added dimensions to his character. He needed to grow in faith. He needed to stop trusting himself. Friends, you and I may not enjoy those disruptive moments when, when maybe it's consequences of our sin. They catch up with us. Or maybe it's just suffering that just springs up out of nowhere. We don't enjoy that. It may not feel like God's hand of blessing is upon us or that he's pouring his grace out on us, and yet God knows exactly what he is doing. And he's using all of life's circumstances to transform us into the people that he wants us to be. That's why James tells us in the first chapter, in fact, in the second verse of the letter he wrote, count it all joy. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just as God called Jacob, God calls us to himself. He calls us while well, we're still lost in our sinfulness. Remember, Abraham was lost in paganism when God called him. But even after he calls us, and after he forgives us, and he justifies us, and he redeems us, and he reconciles us, and we begin now this lifelong process where God is transforming us. He's using his word to do that. He's using his spirit within us to do that. He's using other believers to do that as we disciple each other. And he also uses various circumstances in our lives, trials of various kinds. And all these are transforming examples of his grace. Now, someone might say, well, how can it be grace if it doesn't seem good? The reality is that what we interpret as good is not always what is best. I've shared this with you before. J.C. Ryle wrote this years and years and years ago. Health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God. Health is a good thing. We all want it. Wealth is a good thing. Easy living, that's not bad. Good food, <laughs> love it. It's all good. But the absence of it is far better if it accomplishes God's purposes, mainly leading us to himself. In Jacob's case, marital, marital bliss, marrying the love of his life, this beautiful shepherdess, that would have been a really good thing, a wonderful thing. And yet the agony he experienced at the hand of Laban as a result of God's disruptive grace was far better because of the transformation that God was going to bring about in and through it. Through Laban, God was making Jacob into his man. Through Laban, God would teach him that life isn't all about getting what you want when you want it. Through Laban, God would teach him that God's ways are not his ways. Through Laban, God would teach him to endure, to be patient, to obey, to trust. Through Laban, God would show him that his life was in God's hands, not in his hands. What does Proverbs 69 say? The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Through Laban, Jacob would experience God's grace. It's God's grace. God's disruptive grace. Are there Labans in your life? Are there circumstances, letdowns, even outright wrongs that have been done against you. You suffered because of them. They just don't make sense. That's when it's 
very often easy for us to wonder if God is either unfaithful to keep his promises or maybe he's just not there at all. Remember that for those who know God, the difficult moments in your life, they are not evidence of God's unfaithfulness. They're evidence of God's disruptive grace. His transforming, life-shaping grace. Through the easy times and the hard times, through the joyous times and the sorrowful times, through the blessed times, and those times that just feel like anything but blessing. If you place your trust in Jesus, your life is found in him, then God is with you. The staircase, it does follow you. It never leaves you. And his grace constantly covers you. He's ever faithful, ever true, ever working to make you into the person that he desires you to be and to prepare you for the eternity that you will spend in paradise with him. May our prayers not simply be for comfort. May they not be for prosperity, for ease, but for God's grace to take whatever form is needed that we might be transformed into the people that he wants us to be. Like James says, that we might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, that we might look like Jesus. Let's pray.